0: Your pain is delicious to me.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Booty tan, booty time, across the USA, booty time, booty time, hey, hey, hey.
2: Radio-drome. How will you judge this episode of Radio Drome? I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is Cecil kind of sort of shows up when he feels like it. I'm judging you. No, we're not talking about judging you. And w- with me, when he's not at, on his birthday, where he was last week, is Peter might be sober, might not. Judgment time. And joining us for this special judging edition is Frederick Fritz.
0: Judge is not the law. I'm
2: the law. All right. Before we actually put any of of that into context, if you want to be judged, I guess, you go to (laughs) adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, and you will get 50% off of a single item. You will get three free DVDs, a free clit bumper, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. Now, that said, tonight, each one of us is going to be Defending or making a case for five movies that we like that everyone else, critics and generally other fans, do not like. You don't have to convince us, the rest of the people on the show, although we can either agree or fight with you. You need to make your case to the listening audience, okay? So to start us off, let's go with Cecil. What is your first pick of a movie you think is unfairly maligned by both the public and critical communities?
1: Okay, well, to start, I am going to go with the 2012 movie Lockout. Lockout was as close to Escape from Space as we're ever going to get, or Escape from Earth, or whatever uh, Carpenter would have called it. I mean, uh, the the character of Snow is so much Snake Plissken. I mean, it really to the point he co- lost a
2: plagiarism lawsuit in France over that.
1: To the point of where he lost the plagiarism. But the thing is, it's still, it, it doesn't, I mean, I don't fault the movie for it because the thing is, I love Carpenter. Carpenter is amazing. But the thing is, at, at this point in his career, even he said he's kind of thrown in the towel, and that's why he's doing the, uh, the musical touring thing. Like, he's not ever going to be able to make this movie, but this movie was made. I mean, the action was good, aside from a really bad CGI sequence in the beginning that was not the fault of the director or the movie. It was the fault of the stupid studio had pulled uh, the budget on the film and they weren't able to get the effects finished. But the scene that happened was essential to the film. So they had to leave it in there, even though it wasn't completely done. So the problem is, and what a lot of people tuned out for, was in the very beginning, I mean, that's within the first maybe 10, 15 minutes of the film. And it's so bad that a lot of people tuned out and didn't really, you know, weren't really in for the rest of the movie. But after that happens, like the movie starts off good. That kind of sideways, you know, uh, takes a little askew. But then it kicks back in, and it's just so kick-ass. I mean, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I was saying, the action was good, the the villains were good, uh, Snow was just so badass, uh, the weapons were cool, uh, it just, it had a very cool, unique feel to it, uh, even though it was very uh, Snake plissken it still had its own vibe to it, and I just, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and then I was just really irritated at how... People just openly were were hating on the film. I didn't understand it. I thought it was very quality and very entertaining and a ton of fun.
2: See, I liked the movie as well. I was pissed off at the whole PG-13 thing since the trailer had scenes in it that were definitely from an R-rated cut. So I was a little pissed that we never got to see the full version. But what was there, I did enjoy, although... I agree with you, this is the third Snake Plissken movie, and like I
0: said, a plagiarism lawsuit proved that too. Well, sadly, I I didn't see Lockout yet, it's one of those films I've been kind of cursed on, so...
3: Okay, well... Nothing to add there. Then we'll go to Peter. I agree 100% with what Cecil said. It's definitely the third Pliskin film. It's Escape from Earth. It easily would have worked with uh, Kurt Russell in the role. And just overall, it's a kick-ass movie with a lot of great, like, references to, to 80s action and sci-fi and just overall really enjoyable, even with the motorcycle scene isn't that bad. I mean, if you decided to tune out because of that, sucks to be you because you, you missed out on a great film.
0: Fred, the first film you would like to defend well, I thought it was going to come out of the gate swinging, but since Cecil went with lockout, I will save the big guns. And I think I'll start off with an easier one that's probably going to be a little easier to defend among people, but it sure wasn't in 1990. And that's The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, directed by Rennie Harlan. Look, this is one of those things where I think this movie is now shifting into popular I, I think it people are just rediscovering it. The controversy has faded, which we'll talk about real quick here in a moment. But it's being rediscovered. It's getting some love. It even got a Blu-ray release not too long ago. Back in 1990, I cannot tell you what the vibe of this movie was. It was the term box office poison doesn't even do it justice. Andrew Dice Clay was one of the biggest comedians probably ever. The man was literally an Elvis-sized rock star. And then just within a few months, he went to one of the most hated men in the United States of America. Uh, everybody knows a lot of this, but banned from MTV. There was the walkout on SNL. There were protests. The men had diatribes being spoken against him endlessly. And then here comes poor Rennie Harlan with his movie. Just caught in a tumultuous downpour of pure hatred. I saw this movie in a the actually a theater George Lucas owned in Florida. Got to see it on a huge screen presented in its uh, original anamorphic. The soundtrack was amazing. The songs are just wonderful in this film. It looked great. Uh, By the way, the look of this film was kind of unique for that time. This was just when guys like Tony Scott... And Michael Bay would be coming out with that kind of look, if you know what I'm talking about, that anamorphic, just big, filling the screen action. And a lot of color very...
2: too, the movie
0: had a lot oh, of color. It's, it is, it's a beautifully, in fact, rewatching it for this, I was blown away by just how beautiful that photography was, and I was, remember seeing that in the theater, and it was gorgeous, and I remember walking out of the cinema, there were people standing there, you went to see that? I seriously can't explain how much hatred just even talking about this film would bring up from people. You you would, if you said you liked this movie, you were ostracized. And it's true. This movie just, it it was the scarlet letter. It's, as a movie, okay, just putting the hatred towards Dice aside, this movie does not deserve that. Not at all. It's funny. It's never dull. It's never slow. It has lots of wonderful jokes. I've already mentioned that soundtrack is killer. It
2: breaks the fourth wall very smoothly quite a few times oh, too.
0: One of my favorite jokes is when everybody's falling off of the, uh, the tower records building and they're all shot screaming, ah, and they're spinning. The camera's spinning. And then it cuts to Andrew Clay's going, my hair, my hair. <laughs> There's just a ton of great visual jokes one-liners the robert england
2: steals the movie
0: from well, dice well that is without question smiley is one of the best parts of the movie and it's just creative it's funny yeah it's really raunchy though i mean i this is something i listen to the commentary and even rennie Harlan's going i am so sorry for the language in this movie <laughs> it's like it's, it is a very vulgar movie but you know what i have to admit it makes me laugh the bit about Women are giving blowjobs to the guy to get into the, the funeral and, uh, Dice is walking around the funeral and he, he sees women all putting lipstick on. He goes, am I the only one who paid full price? Filled with these wonderful little jokes. And you know what? Dice is wonderful. I'm going to say this. He's funny. He improvised a lot of little bits, just the way he delivers lines when, uh, Zuzu Pedals go, are you mad? No, I'm ecstatic. And just <laughs> the way he delivers lines, the energy. The this koala movie, bear. Wait, oh, well, you didn't think we were going to kill the fucking koala, did you? It, <laughs> it's just an epic, weird detective story, and if you haven't seen it, seriously, give ignore the hatred and see this movie. You know, even its writer, Daniel Waters, hates this movie.
3: Just a fantastically funny movie, and the people who don't like it are just far too sensitive and need to shut the fuck up. One of my all-time favorite movies.
1: I was shocked at how, like, much controversy it had because Dice at the time, like just prior to this was biggest comedian on the planet. Only comedian who's ever sold out Madison square garden. And not only sold out Madison square garden, sold it out two nights in a row, which it was just astronomical. How popular like people look at, you know, they don't realize how gigantic he was. He was enormous. And then, just uh, there was some weird cultural shift where everybody kind of like, in a way, what we're going through right now, where everybody's offended by everything and all of that kind of went against him. And unfortunately, the movie just came out on like the uh the tail end of that. And, uh you know, he he now was a uh, persona non grata. And people were protesting, you know, him on Saturday Night Live. People were protesting the movie. And it was complete bullshit because the movie in and of itself is fantastic. Like Fred said, the, his his comedic timing was was perfect. The directing was excellent. It was a colorful, beautiful film. Action detective movie that was shot in a very energetic style was later copied by so many other, you know, music video directors and whatnot, but done very poorly. Like this, it, it flowed together really well everything just worked it's just a hilarious excellent funny movie that uh it 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 just never gets old everything from the cameos in the film to the one-liners to just everything ed uh, o'neill's story
2: singing booty time
1: oh ed o'neill singing booty time uh kari were in the film Uh, hit pay dirt with uh, k-dirt Right. Gilbert Godfrey. I mean, the, the cast list is just ridiculously long. Uh, yeah. I forget, what's his name? Um, oh, not Wayne um, Newton
2: as the villain.
1: Wayne Newton is the villain of a, a, a very unknown Lauren Holly back then. I mean, yeah, it's just it's an excellent film and uh, I adore it.
0: I left this off that I was gonna say. Well, first of all, I left off that it was a twenty. It's a twenty-nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes, by the way. So it's still very low rank. But speaking about Dice Clay's uh, being ostracized, I, I've, I have this theory about cultural sacrifice being needed every decade. And I remember back in the eighties when John Belushi died. Basically, he became the poster child of cocaine and drug use and used him as the poster child for that and i think that's what happened with dice in the 90s i think that that things were becoming raunchier faster than people were ready to accept it was a little too much freedom for people perhaps uh and it scared them a little bit so dice became the cultural sacrifice you know for hollywood sins seems it happens about every 10 years or so where somebody has to be put up to the gallows and hung publicly. And
2: I think the movie is fantastic. I remember it being covered in all the rock magazines and heavy metal magazines at the time. I saw this movie when it first came out, and I fell in love with it. I was still too young because I was only 15 when this came out. I was still too young to get, I hate to say, nuances in the direction in some of the script. I thought it was a hilarious movie. Yeah, I didn't get some of the jokes, like the whole Zuzu pedals thing and all that. I, I hadn't seen anything like that before. It's a tremendous movie, and I think it deserves reassessment. That said, we're going to take my first pick, Yellowbeard, 1982. A kind of not really Monty Python movie. Directed by Mel Damsky, who nobody knows, nor should he, but written by Graham Chapman and Peter Cook, And it it has a fantastic cast. Like, you've got Graham Chapman, Peter Boyle, Cheech and Chong, Peter Cook, Marty Feldman, Eric Idle, Madeline Kahn, John Cleese, Stacey Nelkin. In a strange role, you've got David Bowie as a shark. Yes, that makes sense. Everybody hated this movie, including the entire cast and its director. Graham Chapman is the only person on this cast who even liked this movie. Tommy Chong said the only reason they did this movie was... And in uh, these are his his words. Yellowbeard was a pity fuck to somebody who really, really needed it. I don't agree. I think the movie it's it's a spoof on pirate movies. It's genuinely funny. Way, way politically incorrect. So many of these jokes would not fly in, in today's market. No way would a lot of these jokes fly anymore. Especially all of the rape jokes. These would not fly. And yes,
0: I just said they were funny rape jokes. It's true. Well, I have to admit, when I saw it back when it came out, I didn't like it. Uh, a friend and I saw it. We couldn't wait for it. We were fans of Monty Python. Anything they were attached to, even tangentially, I would try to see. And when I saw Yellowbeard, what I remember the most is not laughing. I hate to say it, it just that's the honest truth. That's the assessment and it got in
2: 1982 from the critics. They said it's a shockingly unfunny movie. I disagree. That's what this episode's about.
0: Yeah, of course. And I'm not going to attack because you know what? I haven't seen it again since and it is now actually on my list of movies to rewatch. Oddly enough, there's another pirate film from that same time period called Pirates and that's also on my list to rewatch and reevaluate. So it'll be interesting.
3: Never seen it. I
0: haven't seen it in a very long time.
1: I'm <laughs> sure it's wonderful. I've heard good things. I just haven't seen it.
3: I would like to defend 2013's Only God Forgives, uh, directed by Nicholas Winding Refn. Uh, this movie followed his, uh, I'd say, somewhat uh, cult status achieved film Drive, which uh, a lot of people in the uh, community that enjoy sort of 80s movies and 80s crime films and uh, synthwave and whatnot really took to it. And, uh, gave, I'd say Ryan Gosling a new, uh, new audience with people who assumed he was just the pretty boy romantic leading man and showed that he can be uh, a bit of a badass. And only God forgives is the sort of it's not a sequel to it, but it's the follow up of uh of Reffin and Gosling working uh together again and this is I, I thought it was really great when I saw it. It's a movie that really uh shows you more than it tells. Very limited dialogue, and I really enjoyed how the story progressed that way. Basically about like drug smugglers in Bangkok using, like, a kickboxing gym as a front, and the uh, brother of Gosling's character, like, rapes and murders a 13- or 15-year-old girl. And then there's a cop on their tail. He's this really, really brutal son of a bitch that carries, like, a katana. And uh, what I found really interesting about the movie and the way it portrays that is it almost shows the protagonist, the cop, as, like, a looming monster-like figure like he's constantly got this very cold face and you know he's he's carrying this like you know katana and this uh, sheath on his back and uh just always has this almost like uh almost like his face is the michael myers mask or something like very dark dark eyes and pale features and he's more of like a brooding fearsome presence rather than like a heroic presence and gosling's character which is almost in a way like a reverse vigilante sort of thing because he's technically the bad guy and his mother wants him to avenge his brother's death, so he's going around trying to find out more about the cop who, who uh, who is after him and, and about the guy who killed his brother and stuff like that. But he's very conflicted about it because he doesn't agree with what his brother did. He doesn't agree with the, the pedophilic stuff. And the way the movie drives that forward is really interesting because you've got this cop going deeper and deeper into the drug smuggling underbelly and you've got you've got Gosling basically just trying to survive everything. The way that it's done is in this gorgeously shot, you know, neo noir style, lots of shadow, lots of really gorgeous color using Street lights using actual shops and and storefront signs and whatnot for lighting comes together with the really beautiful synthwave soundtrack that that the film has. And plus the, the limited dialogue, it really, it's something that I really admire in a filmmaker that somebody that can take little to no exposition and still tell a story. And unfortunately, this is why the movie seemed to fail at box offices. It got a very limited release. Not a lot of the audiences liked it. And it was for the reason of the lack of dialogue. People didn't like that it lingered on, on actors, on expressions they didn't enjoy that they feel like it wasn't explaining I would also, much i would also say peter that part of the reason it failed was the trailer doesn't tell the
2: story the trailer makes it look no, like it it's, doesn't. A, it's a death wish knockoff the trailer yeah. is not representative and i think that's what pissed people off more
3: yeah it was um i mean i i still liked the movie i mean i i wasn't disappointed that it was a different film but it definitely it definitely portrays it more as like prior movie he made they tried to make it look more like drive because they knew that you know there were people that really liked this movie you know buying the silver jackets with the scorpion on the back i got one of those so i think people went in thinking that's what it was going to be and they got pissed off that it wasn't that and then you had the same people who didn't like drive for the same reason that there was limited dialogue told more than it uh, or it showed more than it told because we are living in the sort of a generation of people who who prefer the christopher nolan uber exposition style rather than uh showing with very beautiful uh images and and visuals and music and uh keeping the dialogue and the exposition to a minimum and i think the movie not only failed through the trailer because drive uh that up too they tried to show it as more of a of a fast and furious kind of movie and this tried to show it as like a vigilante death wish movie and it's it's so much more than and it's just so gripping to watch because it's a movie that I, I really feel deserves to at least have some sort of cult status. But uh, I've noticed that people just aren't even like it's only it only came out in 2013. And I think I think everybody's kind of already forgotten about it. And I think that's a shame because it's a it's a really, really beautiful piece of cinema. Well, uh, what pe- people don't know is Pitar is actually a paid shill for that film. No, I'm just kidding.
0: Uh, actually, I, uh, <laughs> I, I didn't see that one. I'm sorry. When we brought it up, I thought we were talking about God told me to. I got oh. it backwards. So I never saw this one. Really loved this movie
1: because when, uh, it, it came out like on, uh, as Peter said, on the heels of Drive and it was from the same director. And, uh, I had heard so many people complaining about it, how much they hated it. And a lot of the people that were complaining about it were people who also hated drive and drive was a movie that i loved it was my favorite movie of that year and so i was like oh i gotta see this movie vastly different from drive it's Hmm. good in its own way there's so much that you know it it goes very much by the show don't tell rule uh there's just these really long lingering scenes it's just a, a good looking actually i shouldn't even say good looking it's a beautiful film It's filled with a lot of awful people. And that's one, another mm. thing that I think a lot of people didn't like about it is that they're really, even the cop is not the good guy. Like, so there were people yeah. that I, I had seen, uh, watched like reviews on. And one of the reasons why they didn't like it was because they didn't have anyone to root for.
3: And yeah, I'm the like, the cop was a savage. Like, oh, he the really, cop
1: was, he was a monster. He, the cop was potentially the worst person in it. But the thing was mm. he really was kind of, I mean, he was the good guy. He, but. Because the thing was, the people who he was dealing with were so horrendous. I mean, the, the guy, you know, he raped and, like, brutally kills this uh, underage uh, prostitute. He got taken out. And then the mother, uh, who was just horrible, wanted Ryan
2: Gosling to it's, investigate y- it. Y- and like y- Cecil, you know what? It's, it sounds a lot like the Devil's Rejects. William Forsythe's character is hardly a yeah. good guy in that. But compared the Firefly family, he is the good guy in comparison
1: yeah
3: that's a that's a good comparison actually that um that's a good way to sum it up i'd say
1: I mean, I think a lot of people just, they didn't, they didn't like the way that it was done. I mean, there was, there was these really weird moments of karaoke and it, but it, it all just gelled It all. It was so different, unique and pretty and mm-hmm. interesting. And in, like, I, I wanted to know more about these characters. Uh, and they showed a lot of that through, you know, without talking about it. I mean, the, and uh, there's just people that they can't get beyond that. They need to be told everything.
2: Well, speaking of hmm. people that are stupid, Cecil, you're next pick my next pick what should i go
1: with i i am gonna go with something really 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 silly and i'm gonna go with a movie from 1982 called megaforce megaforce was directed by hal needham the uh stunt driver who uh, became a director and put out some fantastically wonderful action movies and this was a huge movie like this was going to be the big new franchise they had like lunch boxes and action figures and video games and they had so much tied with this movie and it flopped hard yep i mean it really bombed and it's a shame because it uh, is so much fun this is a, a recurring theme with me with these but everything is dialed to eleven. It is the good guys always
2: win. Even in the eighties.
1: Even in the eighties. You've got uh Barry Bostwick wearing this skin tight outfit and this poofy hair. He looks like Barry Gibb from the Bee Gees. He really does. He really does. You know, I thought it
0: was him at
1: first (laughs) seriously, I could see people, you know, mistaking him. And uh, you know, you got Persis Kambada is like the uh the, the the princess quote unquote uh like uh you know the the love interest uh, just, you know, deeds, not words. And they had so many like catchphrases and vehicles that all had camouflage, but they were the most ridiculous looking things ever with like gold and Brown with like the lightning bolts on them. And it just, it was, uh, flying it was motorcycles, Team America,
2: bad rear projection, flying
1: motorcycles, bad rear projection. Yeah. It just so much money invested in this. And, uh, oh, I was going to, it's, it's essentially what Team America world police was kind of spoofing. I love the movie. It's, you know, it's not going to be a, a serious action movie. It is just silly and
2: fun, absurd and wonderful. And see, I disagree. I saw it in the theater. I was seven and man, I didn't like it then. I watched it a couple of years ago and I didn't like it then either.
0: I give that two thumb kisses, baby. Uh, I'm a uh, huge uh, for those who've seen the movie, they know what the thumb kiss is. I'm a huge Hal Needham fan, as Cecil knows. Uh, I was actually even scheduled to interview him for a race rewind. Sadly, he got very ill before I could do the interview with him, and I think that was the beginning of the decline of his health. I love the man's work, even his little stuff. Uh, that film, I think, is misunderstood. It's meant to be campy. It's meant to be silly. It's meant to be over the top. I don't think I can really add too much that Cecil has, et cetera. It's, it's a fun movie, and it should be watched in
3: that spirit. Yeah, you're wrong, Josh. Megaforce is awesome. Um, <laughs> Megaforce is easily one of the most fun films I think I've ever seen uh, to this day. I think a, a movie to be uh, on par with Megaforce in in the fun that it brings to the table is going to be a pretty special movie. Just Megaforce is great. Uh, everybody should go check out my Cinemasticist episode on it since uh, I haven't made a video in like 93 years. I am going to go with uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2. The reason I'm going to go with that one is because it's not only my favorite one in the, the franchise, I have noticed that there is a lot of disdain for it. Maybe not as much nowadays, but I do know that when I was younger and I was really into it, I would get a lot of ridicule for that mainly for homophobic reasons. There'd be a lot of people that hated it because it was, um, in, in their words, and a lot of people's words nowadays, too, it's too gay. There's too many gay undertones or gay overtones or whatever. And I,
2: Undertones? I'm
3: pretty sure the coach was pretty overtone. Oh, yeah. Very, very uh, heavily overtoned whipping scene and the fetish bar and and of course openly gay actor mark Patton who actually if you've seen the never sleep again documentary he and the writer pretty much confirmed that all of the all of the gay stuff all of the homoerotic stuff in the film was intentional because it wasn't just a story about freddie killing kids in their dreams it was also kind of this um i guess awakening for uh the mark Patton character for jesse walsh's character that was also him uh his sort of sexual awakening, I think his character was meant to be gay and he was going through those changes. And that's what a lot of the innuendos of, you know, Freddie being inside him or whatever were all part of that. It was a, a part of him not only changing as, you know, into Freddie, but also changing as as a person, uh, realizing who he is and learning to, I like guess not learning to, but accepting it, you know, what he really is. And I really like that. I like the fact that we had a very different protagonist for a horror movie. Cause usually, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound like a, like a f***ing... Uh, what is it? Gender fluid motherfucker or anything, but it is kind of cool to have a uh, this one movie where the lead is an effeminate gay dude. Where usually we have very brawny, barrel-chested, square-jawed guys like Bruce Campbell, and have the story revolve around him and what he's going through. And and to me, it's a testament to you don't have to relate to the character to enjoy the movie. You can just enjoy the movie. It doesn't matter if you're not gay yourself. You can be straight and still enjoy A Nightmare on Elm Street Part two. And a lot of people still to this day hate this movie. And I find that unfortunate. I thought for a second film in a franchise, incredibly impressive, great music, great mood, Robert England's makeup is Freddy, and that one is, is my personal favorite, and his performance. I love the, the pool party massacre scene. The the pool party
2: scene's where it lost me, because I, I remember seeing this when it came out. Now, taking out all of the franchise that would come after, it already started breaking its own rules. I don't—I I, I, I love the movie. At the time, I didn't like it because it didn't make sense with the canon— of the first film now freddy's in the real world and you don't have to dream about him and he's inside people and it it bothered me as a horror fan now as an adult i see what they were doing but i Mm -hmm. i I can understand why people at the time were really pissed off as at at this being a very inferior sequel leaving all the gay stuff out of it
3: i think for the, the most part though people were we're bothered by that because i can just see that from my own experience of telling people i like the movie or talking about it they're always the the response i always get is oh the gay one the with the gay stuff and it's like wow that really bothers you a lot doesn't it it's like um,
2: peter you could say the gay stuff really came from behind on them
3: oh yeah <laughs> it really surprised them surprised butt sex you could say but yeah i'm really...
2: <laughs> you gotta give me 15 but minutes i really
3: i really in... but i like that one and I know that's one, uh, it's, it's not a popular, it's definitely not a popular opinion um, amongst like a lot of, a lot of horror fans and, uh, just fans of like a nightmare Elm Street in general. That seems to be the pariah of the series. And this is a f***ing series that has Freddy's dead and Wes Craven's new nightmare. And Nightmare 2 is one of like the most hated ones. Like, really? Like, I, I always found that a bit baffling. But yeah, I, I love, I love Nightmare 2 unapologetically. I think it's a f***ing great movie.
1: Nightmare 2, I wonder if I would have liked it more if I would have seen it in order. But what happened was I saw Nightmare 1 and then I saw Nightmare 3. And Nightmare 3 is where they really started to establish a lot of the stuff that would continue with the series onward. And then after that, I saw 2, and 2 being such like the black sheep of the series uh with it going more into like freddie being uh kind of a psychological thing as opposed to you know the the nightmare embodiment that uh, he is so i just i never really got into it um when I was younger, I didn't particularly understand the whole, um, you know, when I was, when I was young, I didn't quite get it. And then you get it older and you watch, you're like, Oh, okay. This is basically an, a, you know, an allegory for, uh, an allegory for the whole homosexual thing. And, uh, I kind of, I kind of dug that, but I really just don't like the movie. I, I tried so many times. Uh, and I mean, I don't, you homophobe. I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely homophobe. <laughs> I think that, uh, I mean, I still think that. The, I still think New Nightmare is the worst in the series, but I just could never get into two.
0: First off, I guess we'll just address the the elephant in the room that good horror comes from some place. Uh, I think it was Roger Corman was talking about that all horror somehow st- stems from childhood fears or doubts. I think that applies across the board uh, into adulthood, and that really makes sense that there would be this subtext used – For horror, I mean, what scares people more than a secret that they're afraid will get out that they're first dealing with themselves that they don't know how to deal with? So it does seem like it's ripe for the picking, uh, especially with Freddy Krueger. I will say that when the film came out, the series had a little bit of a special place for me because one of my best friends was a guy named Jason, and we had seen the first movie together. And then we rented a Betamax machine from a rental place to see the second one. And then later on, we actually saw the third one in the theater. And when we rented it, I can't lie, uh, we were disappointed. Uh We were kind of expecting the first movie. Even back then, I have to say, the visuals in that movie really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. I really like the way you didn't always know what was a dream and what wasn't. There was this surreal quality. Jesse's running down the street, and you don't. You think he's in a dream. He's in his pajamas. He goes into an S&M bar. There's his gym teacher. Now he's at the school. You think this is a dream. And that line is blurred. And it's almost too bad that the, the Kruger movies didn't explore that more. I always thought there was a lot more they could do with Freddy. They never did. And I love those aspects of it. I love the look of the film when he rips part of his skin back, revealing his brain, and it's pulsing. Yeah. There, there's some really disturbing imagery
3: in this film mm-hmm. that really... Like when, uh, like when Freddy's uh, coming out of Jesse Walsh, like just ripping through his stomach and stuff. That's a fantastic effect. Still holds oh, up today.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's an underrated movie.
3: I've gone back,
0: rewatched it. I appreciate it more. Whether or not you are drawn to this gay subtext, it doesn't matter. I agree with Patar on this one. We can all watch a film and and let the story come to us and enjoy it for what it is and for what it's saying. There are different people in this world, okay? No matter what you believe, you, you still have to understand there are different people in this world, okay? No matter what. Mm. What's wrong with taking a look from a different perspective, even in a horror story, which has always kind of pushed that boundary. It's always been the first to kind of go there, if you will. I think it's an underrated film, and it's a good film, and it shows what could have become one of the most imaginative horror series ever made. And I love 3, by the way. That's not to to throw away 3, but 3, I've often said, is that that 50-50. You know what I mean? It's like, there's so much great in that movie, but it's also the beginning of the end, for what Freddy would become. Uh He could have been, and what, you know, he became the one-lining quipster, and it's it's a shame. I, I think that two shows what it could have become as opposed to what it did become. Well, uh boy, it's kind of hard to counterbalance some of these to figure out which one to go with next. So I think I'll go uh with The Stupids, 1996, directed by John Landis. This one's going to be hard even for me to defend. Uh <laughs> Uh, it is, it is, it's- They stole our garbage again. Yeah, I rewatched the film. I still like this movie. But I have to admit, of the ones on my list, it's the one that's probably the most truly flawed. That's because it's a- it's got a very slow start. There are jokes in it that do miss by a couple of miles at times. But the thing is, is that we're talking about films that are hated. That's the thing that always gets me, is why people hate something. I've always been sort of fascinated by that. It's like, look, I have no love for Justin Bieber or his music, okay, at all. But I don't hate the man. That takes effort. That takes emotion to be involved to hate someone. I just don't care. And something like The Stupids to me is so passive. If you don't like it, fine. I get it. But to hate it makes no sense. The movie has imagination. It has heart. It's creative. It's a bit subversive. And Christopher Lee, I'm sorry, has one of the best cameos in this film of his career. The problem I had with the stupids was there was no basis for
2: these characters. Like, she's got the flamethrower and is setting all this stuff on fire, and then she's like, wow, this is the worst fire extinguisher ever. Or when they put their garbage cans on the curb on Monday, they're they're pissed that the garbage men stole their trash, and they try to try and figure out who keeps taking their trash. And it's like, okay, these jokes kind of are funny but then the the basis would have to be how are these characters still alive in the really real world how do they pay their bills if they're this f-ing stupid and it's well, here's like, the uh, i don't know to me the, the the comedy basis wasn't there it was just a bunch of random jokes
0: well i was going to come to this I, I got. i'll say it now though one of the things that Ultimately, because there are several extremely funny jokes in this, so I do disagree that it builds. The reason the beginning is so slow is it's building on its very stupid premise. I don't know if you've ever looked at any of the books called The Stupids. They're very much those children's books where it's, it's, you know, Timmy got a new wagon, let's go for a ride, little sis, and you know, it, there's not much there. But in The Stupids, they are really that stupid that's the joke they do kind of everything the reverse or very weird it's almost surreal but in the books the world is more like that there's a lot of the family they go to visit their aunt and uncle who's actually growing pencils as a farmer i just don't understand why these pencils don't grow you know i mean just weird surreal and if the movie had been that i think it might have been what you're talking about it might have worked better It would have been in a world where these type of people not only exist, but they thrive. I think it would have been funny if they had gone to the television station and it was run by a stupid, you know. they At the police station, there was a stupid family member, and so on and so forth. That could have been great. The film we get for the type of film it is based off of those books is very imaginative, very weird. There are some very creative bits like the where he's hiding as a bush. He's covered himself up to hide as a bush. And then he's sitting there and he's going, okay, to be the bush, I have to think like the bush. I'm just sitting here, swaying in the breeze. And Hey, I have arms. I'm a bush that has arms. Oh my gosh, I'm a bush that has legs. Wait, I can talk. I'm a sentient bush. Behold, man bush. You know, it's... (laughs) <laughs> just ludicrous stupidity. And it's fun. And this is the only kind of movie a joke like that could exist. The bit with Christopher Lee as Mr. sender it's all in Stanley's imagination where he's imagining this guy destroys people's mail. That's all he does. And he's sitting around. He grabs a pile of letters that are wrapped in a bow. And he goes, oh, poor Jenny Miller, throws the pile in the fire, and then goes, no one's coming to her wedding. <laughs> it's kind <got> of all these <laughs> stupid jokes and yes it's that dumb but it's visually fun you said about fort fair it's very colorful very fun i think it was christopher stone did the score there's this 1950s cartoony they throw a lot of theremin in it for the evil villains you know like when the garbage truck is coming at night and it's foggy and they're wearing gas masks for no reason (laughs) it's filled with wonderful little moments like that and if you're a lover of film there's Lots of cameos from Robert Wise, Mick Garris, Norman Jewison, and Captain Kangaroo of all people is in this film. David Cronenberg's in there somewhere. I can't suddenly remember where. There's just a lot of great little gags. I'm not going to go on and on because there's not much to say, but real quickly, it had a 21% on Rotten Tomatoes to this day. It's a 4.1 on IMDb. It's not that bad. Is it great? No, it's not great. That's why I said it's a hard movie for me to defend. But you get to see Niedermeyer from Animal House back in action. And come on, wasn't it worth it just to see Niedermeyer a villain one more time? Poor Mark Metcalf never gets the respect he deserves. he, He never gets respect. But it's actually a fun movie. Is it stupid? Yes, look at the title. But if people can like a movie like Dumb and Dumber, I'm sorry. To hate on a movie like The Stupids is pretty stupid.
1: The stupids is, it's stupid. It's supposed to be stupid. And I love it. Uh, I mean, it, it's worth it for the I'm My Own Grandpa song alone. It's just, it's like more clever than people realize. And it's... It's just, it's intentionally dumb, but it's intentionally dumb with a point. And uh, as Fred said, you know, if people can like Dumb and Dumber, why can't they get beyond what the concept of this movie is? There's this family of stupid people, and they do stupid things. And that was one of the things that people uh, went into. They're, oh, I can't believe how stupid they are. Yes! That's the point. That's what makes it funny. And I think the stupids mm. is hilarious.
2: Exactly. My next pick... Everyone knows I'm a huge, huge cyberpunk fan. And I'm a huge fan of William Gibson. Well, in 1995, William Gibson adapted his own story, Johnny Mnemonic, into a movie, Johnny Mnemonic, directed by Robert Longo. Information
3: overload, man! Technological f***ing civilization! What causes it?
2: This causes it! (laughs) This causes it! This causes it! But we still have all
3: this shit because we can't live without it. It's okay,
2: just Johnny and I are talking. I like how he calls him <laughs> just Johnny. But no, everyone hated Johnny Mnemonic. Now, this is the first movie that truly felt like a cyberpunk movie. Now, everyone can say Blade Runner and all that. Those aren't really cyberpunk movies. That's like a dystopian future. This was a cyberpunk movie it, it visually was stunning had a great cast had a great story yeah the director's cut in japan makes more sense but the american version had a great story it's intensely memorable there are parts of it that are brilliantly satirical of action movies aftermath of dolph lundgren's character's death is one of the smartest most most subversive at, at, at studio action movies scenes i've ever seen and yet those are the kind of scenes the studio hated we never got to see Robert Longo's real director's cut. Even the Japanese cut is still not his version. I love Johnny Mnemonic, and at the time in '95, this film, I can't even count how many magazines thought they were clever. Remember how, like, when Saturday Night Live lost the original cast, New York Times, Washington Post, L.A. Times, every place, Saturday night, dead. Yeah, you're so witty. Ugh. This movie was called Johnny Moronic Ugh. by so mm. many people in the in the press it absolutely angered me. I love Johnny Mnemonic. This is a fantastic movie.
1: Oh hell yeah. I I'm really big into cyberpunk because a lot of that factors into uh there's like post apocalyptic uh stuff that has elements of cyberpunk and I have been reading William Gibson stuff for ages and so I just was ecstatic when they were doing Johnny Mnemonic that they were taking uh, you know it was a short story but uh that they were which has doing no it similarities to
2: this, but fair it, enough
1: it it has it has a couple it has a like they had the dolphin in there, but the dolphins in the book were used to find um mines that were in the uh in the ocean and this and the, so the,
2: it was so I seem to remember in the story the lowtechs were much more kind of aborigines with filed sharp teeth and body paint and used spears and you know they were kind of like the ultimate Luddites.
1: Yeah, they, they did a lot of stuff. There were things, there were more. St- Things in the Japanese cut that uh, uh, were in the novel, or I'm sorry, in the short story, but uh, but still, uh, the the theatrical cut of the movie that we got, uh, I enjoyed. I think that the uh, the Japanese version is much closer to what it should be. I know the real version is yet to be released. Hopefully, one day we might actually see it, but because um, I'm really curious to, to get that all fleshed out. But even you just want room service. Just... <laughs> yes. You see that city over there? That's where I'm supposed to be.
0: Not down here with the dogs and the garbage and the fucking last month's newspapers blowing back and forth! I've had it with them! I've had it with you! I've had it with all this! I want room service!
1: I want the club sandwich! I want the cold Mexican beer! I want a $10,000 a night hooker! the look of it was great the the technology was cool that the cgi was like they did it in a way that it was uh like retro like so even though now like we have cgi that's better so to speak it works within the within the movie because it's like it's not supposed to be that like perfect depictions I can of reality crash your
2: board from here man
3: they had uh, <laughs> uh snatch uh, back your brain zombie snatch it back and hold it
2: there are so many great lines Tekashi, in
3: this movie. Uh, Takashi
1: was in it, which was one of the things his, uh, his whole subplot was much larger in the Japanese cut. Made more so, sense in the Japanese because cut too. Made more sense in the Japanese cut too, but the thing is he was the bigger star out there and this was like leading up to you know Keanu doing the the Matrix and everything and uh but god I mean Henry Rollins, Dolph Lundgren, uh, Dina Mayer, Ice-T, uh Tracy Tweed, Udo kier just so many like really excellent like uh cool people to see in a movie and just the the look of it the feel of it everything about it was just slick and cool I have the fucking Johnny Mnemonic mug I I have like Johnny (laughs) Moronic mug <laughs> third, 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 that pissed me off too because I was just like, How lazy are you and every single you know right- you know writer thought that they were being clever with that but uh i yeah i I adore giant mnemonic i think uh it's it's an excellent uh film the japanese version definitely is the
0: better version, but the
1: theatrical version is still a lot of fun is still good
0: well, I love science fiction uh I always have lines love science fiction and uh Even in 95, I can't say we were getting a lot of what I would call hardcore science fiction. I mean, we've always had films that have dabbled in it, but the real hardcore, like almost out of a novel kind of science fiction was rare. It was very rare. And uh, other than a movie uh, that I liked called Millennium, which probably should have been on my list. Johnny Mnemonic was a rare animal. I don't remember the quotes as well as you gentlemen do, because I haven't seen it as many times as you have. I just remember really loving watching this movie in the theater, just soaking in this alternate world and all of its weirdness and henry rollins was personally my favorite moment in the whole movie actually i know i was uh, so
2: mad when he got killed off only 30 minutes in i was like no <laughs> I,
0: I was too and i'll tell you what, and i don't bring up my the christian thing too often but i will state the one thing i do hate about the movie but it's not for the reason you might think yeah it's the street preacher Played by Dolph Lundgren, because I think that is some of the laziest writing of the movie. Oh, that Everything is great. Else, he's great, but the writing is so lame compared to the rest of those lines you guys were all quoting are so funny that you were making me remember the movie. You know what I remember <laughs> of Dolph Lundgren? Halt, sinners. You need oh, Jesus. God. <laughs> it's like i just remember sitting there going i could have written a better subversive character than this
3: best f***ing moment is between rollins and lundgren when uh lundgren's like stabbing rollins to the the bed the the like uh, gurney or whatever and he's just like this jones where is he who is he he's that guy who f- your mother. <laughs>
2: I, I actually mother, no, I, I think Henry, Henry, Rowland, Henry Rowland Henry Ralph Street preacher had an even better scene. When he goes halt sinners and you think in a normal action movie, in a normal action movie they would slam on the brakes and and you know get into an accident trying to avoid them <laughs> roland just goes fuck, slams on the accelerator and just runs his ass right over.
0: I love that. But see, that's what I mean. Mm-hmm. Like that stuff was fine. it's but his character could have been clever. I I would have liked to have seen a street preacher in this OK, not just this guy occasionally saying Jesus and sinners and it, it wasn't clever. I'm sorry. Compared to the I mean, this is a movie where you have that dolphin as as the genius. <laughs> Jones, the man. Yeah, it, it's it's like his
1: like I mean, those scenes are still in there, obviously, but there's a lot more to him. So he's not quite as one dimensional as I as have he to see him. that.
0: I have to see that version. I have not yet. Uh, it's one of those I, movies I again like 20 that's 20 minutes right longer off. maybe, something like that?
1: It's 20 minutes longer. It has a different soundtrack and it's in, uh, the correct order because in the theatrical version, they had some scenes that were out of order. So well, this, I just,
0: I just want to understood. I'm not saying this ruins the movie by any stretch of the imagination. I'm saying comparatively, I found it lazier. I have to say this does have one of the coolest weapons. I have seen in a movie and I'm shocked this has not been. Oh uh,
3: the Yakuza guy.
0: Yes, the the laser uh slice. It, that was just freaking awesome. I'm sorry. Lightsabers went down a notch
3: after that. When they, he slices they, uh when he slices Udo Kier. Udo Kier right. Yeah, that was so cool. That that scene was both shocking and amazing at the same time.
0: Uh the audience both <laughs> gasped and went, Awesome! <laughs> in the theater it it was really an impressive moment it's a fun movie I definitely have to see this Japanese cut though
3: I think it's it's pretty obvious that I like it given all all the quotes and stuff just fantastic movie like I never get tired of it
2: so that's Some of our picks. Next week, we're going to look at the last three picks each of us have. And I've seen everybody's list. It's a very varied list. There are films all over the place on here. And, of course, Cecil gets some wrong because that's what he does. But Uh, Fred Fred joins him with getting some wrong, too. So that's mm -hmm. something.
0: Your pain is delicious to me.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So, Cecil, where can people find you defending movies poorly? Uh Defending Movies
1: Correctly at uh, EscapistMagazine.com, GoodBadFlicks.com, and
2: Facebook and Twitter. Peter, where can people find you just wallowing in the depths of your own mind?
3: Uh, you can find me wallowing in the pure depths of just unbridled insanity on uh, Twitter at Cinematic on YouTube, the Cinematicus, on Facebook, the Cinematicus, and going even crazier on uh, 1201beyond.com.
2: Fred, where can people find you with your stupids pics? They can find me...
3: <laughs>
0: Bathing in motor oil over at the Movie Apocalypse page, still on Facebook, and eventually at saintstoryteller.com once it's up.
2: And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, don't let people tell you what you're supposed to like. If you like a bad movie, go ahead and like a bad movie, because next week we're going to be talking about some movies nobody else likes, but we do. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold we
0: me down, would you care if I went won't let you it? the if I caught out
2: Would you care? Would you, care? Oh, you care? 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 care?
1: Radio Drum is a twelve oh one Beyond Production.